Peace, everybody, and welcome to another great episode of the Dear New Me Show. Today, we have a very special guest, none other than my significant other, Alexis Grosul. She has one of the most compelling backstories. I mean, this episode could be filled just talking about her history alone. She is an actor, a dancer, and the owner of Zen House Healing. We're going to talk all about how she went from breakdancing on Hollywood Boulevard to owning her own company, protecting your energy, and the crazy call she got from her stepdad. Of course, this episode is ad-free thanks to you who support my company, Raw Yogi. If not, it will be filled with ads that you guys probably wouldn't care about, but it's not. It's only filled with my company, Raw Yogi, the best vegan brand out there. Without further ado, here is Alexis. You're listening to The Dear New Me Show, a podcast aimed at helping people gather great tools to become better versions of themselves. I'm your host, Nehemiah, director, entrepreneur, vegan, and a bunch of other stuff that doesn't even matter. So at the end of the day, it really is all about you. I sit down with inspiring individuals, talk to them about their journeys, habits, and some of the tools that they use to become better versions of themselves. Hope you enjoy. All right. There's so much that we can talk about, and I know you very well, and the audience does not. So I think that just within this episode alone, your backstory would fill up the whole thing. Could you maybe just give us like a very brief overlook of your backstory ending up to where, you know, you're in, into Hollywood? Okay, my story begins 1987 in New York City. So I was born into interesting circumstances, that would be the least to say. I wasn't even really born inside the hospital because my mom hadn't made it out the car yet. (laughs) So that happened. My mom took me to Germany at a very young age and uh, remarried. I was adopted and um, lived in Germany at a a very young age as an immigrant and went to school in Germany, did my thing, came back to New York at 21 because I decided that I wanted to be a professional dancer. And I knew my options were very slim in Germany, even though I, I had a very good run and I did very well. I thought it was time to go back home to New York. And coming back to New York was also very interesting because I had originally planned to go to New York on my 21st birthday with a friend of mine. And that friend, obviously, how things go, canceled last minute. And by last minute, I mean a week before our flights. And when she canceled, I I walked home and I opened up my mailbox and I found a letter in there. And that letter was from my biological father. Well, technically from the U.S. consulate addressed to me, but my father speaking through them to get in touch with me. So I, his number was there. I called him. I was like, what's up, dad? <laughs> Long time no see. Um... And that was pretty much it. I still flew to New York, uh, met my dad, 
And a few months later, I actually packed up my bags and moved, moved to New York. Um, lived in New York, danced nonstop, worked nonstop, and decided to come to L.A. to audition because everything was happening in L.A. Um, and as far as jobs go in New York, I always ended up auditioning for the parts that were still left. You know, the other parts were casted in L.A. So I took my bag, packed my bags and went to L.A. So when you, you know, you got the letter from your biological father and then you spoke to him, what age were you? It was right before my 21st birthday. And was that the first time you had ever spoken to him? As, yeah, because I don't remember. I mean, I spoke to him when I was a kid, when I was a baby, but I don't remember those conversations. So you spoke to him for the first time at the age of 21, which is, you know, crazy for some people. And then you decide to not only go visit him and see him for the first time as an adult, but also live with him out there. How much time went in between that decision of seeing him and deciding to move there? And I visited him in June and moved in October. So a few months. What was it like seeing your dad for the first time i mean i know what it was like but you know explain what were you feeling were you nervous were you scared were you excited i wasn't scared i was extremely excited so excited i couldn't sleep and his voice on the phone just sounded so familiar so i knew that when we saw each other it would be amazing. And I got off the plane and, you know, was kind of walking where all the people come in to, you know, pick up the people. And he was standing there and I saw him. And it's one of those experiences that you can't really put in words, but utter happiness and arrival like I'm home and just tears crying screaming oh my god and he hadn't changed he's he looked exactly how I remembered and how he looked in the pictures that I still had from you know back in the 80s but he hadn't aged looked exactly the same and it yeah it was just incredible What's the first thing that you remember saying to him when you talked to him for the first time after all those years? I love you. Mm. I missed you. And just staring at him in his eyes and just crying and just touching his face and just holding him. That's crazy. Yeah. Now, your adoptive father, he's in Germany. Yes. Your mom's in Germany at this time. Mm -hmm. They end up getting a divorce. Why? Years later. So, years later. How much time in between you living in New York and their separation happened? I want to say three or four years. 
their separation was hard because they were the perfect couple growing up. You know, they were, they never fought. They always respected each other. They taught me what a real relationship should be like between two people. And they created an incredible home. And my, my stepdad or my papa, I don't call him my stepdad, he's my papa, he adopted me at only, I think he was 21 or 22. What kind of man does that? He's the most amazing person I know and the most amazing person I celebrate because he's the most amazing human being. So that being said, when they separated, it was like, whoa, what's going on? But I understood because, you know, I was older and it wasn't, you know, my mom was with my dad and before that she was married to someone else. And my grandmother was married multiple times. So it wasn't something that like tore my world apart. But I was like, okay, let's look at this. Let's talk about this. What's going on? What's happening? And it was good that it happened. Matter of fact, it was the best thing that could have ever happened to both of them. Because it turned out that my stepdad, my papa, is gay. Sound effects. <laughs> boo, 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 boo. And that was an interesting story too because when they when they separated, my mom didn't know. No one knew. He hadn't come out yet. He came out, I want to say about a year after the divorce. And he called me. And I, I'll never forget that phone call because I was I was in I was in my living room and he's calling me at a weird time where he never calls and he's like, Alexis, I need to talk to you and you need to sit down. And immediately I was like praying <laughs> that he's not sick and that nothing bad has happened that, you know, I was just very afraid at that moment. And he's like, I have to tell you something. I'm like, okay. And he's like, I'm gay. And I'm like, oh. I thought you were going to tell me that you're going to die or that you have cancer or that it's something bad. You scared me. That's great. What else? You know, what's next? What's that? That's it. Okay, good. I'm happy for you. So I actually wasn't that shocked, I have to say. Why not? Did you kind of? I don't know. Something inside you knew? I don't know. I can't pinpoint it. I can't. Maybe it's just the the impact in you. Maybe. So he <laughs> made history in Augsburg. He did. How? Well, um, well, I don't know if he made history. He was definitely featured in <laughs> a news article in a magazine um, with my sister together as the Rainbow Family. Um. I think for his for him to come out that was the most that was the hardest thing for him to to do because his father old school german military high rank military um you know very catholic very traditional german so it, that was very 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 hard for him not easy at all i want to say 
yeah, like I said, the hardest thing that you could imagine a person having to do. So yeah, he was um, celebrated for that. Was he the uh, first same-sex marriage in Augsburg? I don't know. I know that the mayor... I don't know. I would have to ask. <laughs> Say anything that's not true. You performed at the wedding. I did. So did you. <laughs> yeah. How was that experience for you? You know, It was so hard to stay professional and not cry. Because I had to sing. And you know what happens when you sing and cry. That shit don't work. <laughs> and it was my sister. So I was singing with my sister. And they picked a beautiful song. And everyone cried. He cried. And it was beautiful and fun. I can attest to that, people. I was there. And yes, it was beautiful, and it was a very special moment, especially for him to have both of his daughters come together on this day for him. And it was a lot of emotions in the air, and it was a beautiful thing. And that was my first time in Germany. And it was a crazy place. I mean, we got stared at everywhere we went. Oh, my God. And I'm curious because I know you did very well in Germany in the entertainment business. How far did you get? Okay, well, I made it on the radio. My, I didn't have songs playing on the radio, but I was invited with my group to perform live on a very famous German radio station uh, that has been around forever and everybody knows it. Um, I toured. I, was, I basically was the manager of the group. I made the phone calls and booked us. We uh, had our own office. We had our own studio. We uh, got very far. We recorded an album. We Basically, we were our own production. It was me and two other girls. We wrote our songs. We produced our music with the help of another producer. We uh, choreographed our own shows. When we weren't, we were teaching either uh, one of the girls was teaching uh, vocal vocal courses. I was teaching dance. The other girl was teaching dance as well. So, yeah. Now, what exact genre would you put your group in? Neo-hip-hop-ish, funk-ish, soul-ish. Yeah. So then going to New York, how different was it coming from a place like Germany and then going to a place like New York? That's a good question. I want to say I had a rude awakening because, well, for one, when I moved to New York, I had a bag with me, maybe two bags, okay? That's it. I didn't have electronics. I didn't have a studio. I didn't know anybody. Um, I got in contact through MySpace with another artist from the Bronx, and we ended up recording in a studio in Yonkers. Nothing ever came about it. You know how it goes. Men are sleazy, and that's all I got to say. And then I kind of stopped because dance took over. You know, I started acting and then music just kind of dissipated and just got lost somewhere down down the travels 
Where in in that timeline did you start to gain your love for acting? Was it when the music kind of went away or was it already there and you just started to embrace it more now that the music started to slow down? There was always this little voice in my head. You should act. You should act. Maybe it was my mom also when I was a teenager. But there was always a voice. And I moved to L.A. not for, for acting but for dance and specifically to audition. I only planned to live there for like six months to see what it was like. But I ended up working and a colleague of mine was like, you should check out Stella Adler. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, yeah, you should check it out. I was like, yeah, I should. Because my mom used to study with her, like with the actual Stella Adler, not with her students, but with her. And I was like, yeah, let me go give it a shot. And so I audited a class and I liked what I saw. And then I signed up. And the rest is history because I fell in love with acting and being on stage and I fell in love with theater. And I then continued to study and got on a little scholarship and did my thing. Now, the entertainment business is something that kind of runs in your family, right? Yeah. You're not really the first one to to pursue it. No, my father is a professional ballet dancer. He's a Broadway dancer and actor. He's done many, many things. We don't have to go down the resume thing. It's cheesy and unnecessary. And my mom was a model in New York City, a runway model. And she had her own show. She was a host, TV host. Yeah, they both did their thing. (laughs) How much of that do you feel like plays a part in what it is that you want to do here at this time in your life. Do you feel like having them in that area is a, was a big influence and that's the reason why you've kind of gravitated towards the entertainment industry or do you feel like you would have been in it regardless? I think DNA plays a huge role. I think parents play a huge role. The stories they tell you, what they've done, the life they've lived... Because when I was a child growing up, my mother wasn't active, you know. She, in my teenager years, picked up the guitar again, started a group and, you know, started touring. So that, But that's a whole other story. And she made it on television again later on in, in Germany through different areas. But I feel like the biggest thing that has helped is just them supporting me and understanding where I come from and understanding that... I wasn't looking for a stable job. I didn't care if I, you know, had to eat out of, you know, a can (laughs) because I loved doing what I did so much that they were just like, do it, see where it takes you because they understood they had the same path. They did the same thing or doing the same thing. (laughs) I think one of the, uh, the best reactions that I get from people when I'm around you is obviously when they find out some of your life story there all blown away. But one of the greatest reactions I get from people is when they hear that you were a B girl. Uh. And I guess still, I guess it's something that that never leaves you, but you know, you were a uh, B girl and they're usually surprised by that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you think that is? Because I don't look like it. Uh, And it depends on what, when people meet me because 
if I, you know, if I'm in acting mode, I'm not going to, and I dress like a character, I'm playing a character, you know, that has nothing to do with me. And then when people find out, they're like, hold up, where, what, you? Like break dancing, like cardboard and shit. Like, yes, cardboard and shit. So I think that's why uh, people are surprised. You know, when I say dance, they, they automatically assume ballet, which is my background, ballet and jazz and all the classical stuff. But I was heavily into graffiti and b-boying, not breakdancing, b-boying, b-girling, and rap and hip-hop. And I lived and breathed and ate that shit 24-7. Ego 100%, b-girl all day, every day. I wasn't wearing dresses because I couldn't break in them. If I went out, I had to dress just to make sure in case I have to break, I can so I was always prepared for that. How did you find yourself breakdancing on Hollywood Boulevard? My ex, because he was a b-boy. And he was doing street shows in New York. And that's one of the things that I did in Europe. And so it made sense for us to come together and form a group and make money. Talk us through a little bit about what that would entail as far as, you know, because you hear breakdancing on, on Hollywood Boulevard for people who have never been there, they may not understand what that atmosphere is like. That shit is rough. Physically, mentally, spiritually. Because for one, depending on how hot it is, the floor on Hollywood Boulevard is black marble. I don't know if it's marble. It's uh, like a black stone. So you're dealing with a floor that can get up to like, I want to say, depending on how hot it is, maybe 100, 100 degrees. And you're on the floor with your hands for eight hours a day doing show after show after show after show after show. It's very taxing. During that time, I must have been eating like at least 4,000 calories a day, heavy carnivore. Uh, dealing with the police, dealing with the LAPD. Some of them are nice, but a lot of them are freaking assholes. And they absolutely take advantage of having the power. And I, I guess a lot of it has to do with fear too. But yeah, I almost got arrested for dancing dancing in the street that's crazy that is crazy and on hollywood boulevard just to kind of paint the picture is always filled with tourists yeah and there's seasons when it's a lot more tourists than others but it's usually the famous shot that you guys see in all the movies where people are walking taking pictures of the stars you have all these characters dressed up in you know johnny depp hangover guy all the way down to transformers you know so it's a real hub for most of the tourism in hollywood so it's a very prime spot so you were seen by a lot of people in and the groups were huge yeah gang activity um being in between of gang i gotta say this that probably taught me everything I need to know about everything. 
I saw somebody, someone committed suicide right in front of, right in front of my eyes. It wasn't the first time I saw somebody die in front of me, but that was the first time I saw someone hit the floor from 100 feet. What type of role did that play on you from that point on? Did it have an effect on you? I feel like it was one of the many things that had an effect on me. There were many, many, many things. But seeing that made me realize how important it is to stay mentally sane. And by sane, I mean connected to your highest self and understanding that Life is so freaking precious, and we have to fight for it sometimes. It's not easy, and I understand I understand everyone in every aspect, and I understand someone that wants to take their life, and I understand someone that does it. Because life is fucking hard, especially in L.A., especially in New York. It's crazy. And you got to be right there in the middle of Hollywood, at what point did you realize it was so much different than you thought? Uh, within the first 72 hours of living there. When I, moved to, when I moved to Hollywood, I moved directly into Hollywood. I stayed in a hotel for the first week because I didn't know where I was going to live and I didn't know the area. I didn't know anything. And I found a job the next day. And then a few days later, I found my studio apartment that I would live in um, for the next few years. But I knew the minute we got there uh, that it was not glitz and glamour. It was dirty, disgusting. You get to Hollywood Boulevard, from what you see on television, it's night and day. What you see on television is one block long. The rest, miles, sex shops, uh, uh, smoke shops, tattoo shops. It's just bars, but like... You see the same people there all the time, doing nothing, just hanging out there. And that's it. That's all they do. Those characters that you see on Hollywood Boulevard, that's all they do. They don't do anything else. And for the people out there who have never been to Hollywood, it's definitely not like the movies. When you're watching the movies, they may say that it's Hollywood, but nine times out of ten it's probably Calabasas, Beverly Hills, uh, somewhere way different than Hollywood because Hollywood is actually full of homeless people. Yes. And a lot of people don't realize that until they get there. And there's a lot of homeless violence Mm -hmm. and it's just not paved with gold as everyone thinks that it is. Which is kind of what I want to go into the next part and along this journey of dancing and then acting you reconnected with Reiki again I did I did I was in a very abusive relationship and I should say very unhealthy and mentally abusive relationship, to be specific. Um, The theater was my escape. 
when I couldn't go home or when I was scared to go home or when I was scared and had to run away from home, I ran to the theater and I sat in a dressing room and I cried. And what brought me back to Reiki was acting because there was a class called Movement for Actors and we were working with our chakras, with our energy centers, which is a very unique approach to becoming a character, but it makes sense because it's, it's work on a very, very deep level. Deep. So we would do a yoga warm-up, and then we would go into our exercises. Uh, we read a book called The Lucid Body, which is all about chakras and imploded, exploded. You know, it really goes into depth. And it was that class where I realized that I needed to change my life because I wasn't happy. And I wasn't happy in the, in the relationship I was in. And I was digging up a lot of old trauma in that class, like personal and I was able to explore it in front of other people and share it, which made it a safe haven for me to be vulnerable and gain strength through that. I left my relationship, which took a long time, and it was a very tedious process. But it was kind of evident that I needed to leave because I was changing so much that he couldn't keep up with me. And he would ridicule me for meditating and, you know, make fun of me for breathing heavy when he would piss me off and I needed to center myself and think clearly. It, just little things like that made it impossible for me to stay in that situation, so I had to leave that situation. And when I left that situation, I needed to find back to myself. And I heard about Agape. I went to Agape for the first time. I, um, through that acting class, started doing Reiki again, started reading more books again uh, that had nothing to do with acting or dancing or music, but self-realization and, and self-development and mental, uh, physical, spiritual health and started getting into yoga, started eating less meat, <laughs> And slowly got into where I am today. Now, with the uh, Reiki and the acting, I'm curious. And, you know, the show's all about tools. You know, what type of tools or, you know, what type of practices they have you doing that you kind of felt were very helpful to you, especially in your spiritual practice? Imagination work, meditation, vocal work, physical work, and the whole idea behind the lucid body technique, which is a whole other story. This book is by Faye Simpson, and she's incredible. I took her master class as well. The tools are basically... being 
centered, I guess, is the right word or maybe the wrong word. I don't know. But being balanced and having a, um, a balanced energy system, basically. In order to play another character, you have to know yourself very well. You have to know, you know, how your chakras are functioning, where you're connected, where you're disconnected, <clears throat> and then bring yourself into a into alignment. Then from that place of alignment, you can do anything with your chakras. You can play around and you can then use them in character work as an actor. And the way those tools apply in life is or, you know, in my Reiki practice is it's basically the same thing. The only difference is I'm 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 channeling universal life force energy in my Reiki practice. But I'm still balancing my energy systems and realigning everything. Um, so that's how that's how they go hand in hand. And I feel like that's how that tool in acting is also a good tool in your spiritual practice and how you can make acting a spiritual practice and not just, you know, something on the, on the surface. And we see a lot of the surface acting. And I feel like for those of us who may not be trained in acting, I think that when we see a performance that isn't deep, I think that it resonates with us. And then when we see a performance, when someone goes deep, it resonates with us. So we may not know what we're feeling, but I think that it's obvious when we're watching someone who has done a lot of the work, especially like tuning into the person's character that they're playing, kind of like what you were talking about. Now, were you already educated on the chakras before acting came around? Or was it something that you learned through acting? No, it's something I was educated on before. I feel like through the class, I went into real depth of the chakras how they really work and what they really do in the body and why they do what they do and what they're connected to specifically. So I, f I feel like I, I got to really get to know my chakras as well. And also being able to just walk down the street and looking at people and being like, Oh, his heart is imploded. Oh, his, <laughs> his crown is exploded. Oh, you know, Oh wow. He's not very balanced or, you know, I can now tell, which has helped me with, again, my Reiki practice. And for the listeners out there who may not, you know, be very familiar with the chakras, the chakras are energy centers that run around like pretty much a straight line down the body and they're connected to glands and they absorb and push out energy. And when one is closed, the term is imploded. And when one is way too open, the term is exploded. Now, for those who may not be familiar with Reiki, could you give us just a uh, the explanation for people who may be brand new to energy words and all of that type of stuff, what Reiki is? So Reiki, it's very simple. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> it's energy healing. And the purpose of Reiki is to, again, realign your chakras and balance them. And through the realignment of the chakras and the balancing of the chakras, you're dealing with or you're taking care of all the other things that correspond with those chakras. So if someone's having knee pain or lower back pain, you know, or, you know, they're in a job that they don't like, everything has an effect on us. Trauma gets stored in the body. That's something that is well known also in, 
well-known also in Western medicine, muscle memory and all that kind of stuff. So that's the way Reiki basically works. And what I do as a Reiki practitioner is I channel the energy and I pass it on through the palms of my hands. And that can be done either in person, hands-on, or through distance work. And the way that works is also easy to explain because, you know, for all the people that don't really believe in it, I think that one thing everyone can really relate to is you think of someone and they call you. So that's the power of intent. There is no such thing as time and space. Energy is a language. Energy travels through time and space to get to its destination through intent. So if I think about you and you are in Germany, you're probably 100%, okay, probably and 100% don't go together, but there's a high chance that you're going to think of me too and one of us is going to pick up the phone and call the other if the other person's not already doing that. And then also you meet a person, right? Strange person comes in the room and you're like, oh, I don't like that person. You've never talked, you've never spoken to that person, you don't know the person, but you can just feel that something's off with the person because they have intentions and they come in with those intentions, they come in with their energy and we pick up on that because that is the language that we speak when we're not actually talking to each other. With the Reiki and being a practitioner, is it something that anyone can do? Did you have to study? How did you become able to use this tool? The way I was introduced to Reiki was I was very young. I was only 18, maybe even younger. I think I was 18. And I was laying on the floor in back pain. And I was at a friend's house. And his mom said, she came over to me and she said, can I lay my hands on you? And I'm like, that's weird. Okay, but yeah, sure, because I'm in pain. And at this point, I just want the pain to go away. I fall asleep. I wake up a few hours later and I'm like, what in the world just happened? And I had this whole experience and I just felt at peace and happy and pain-free. And she did it on me a few other times and then she was like, listen, I want to initiate you so you can heal yourself. And I'm like, awesome. I tell my two friends about it. They're like, oh, my God, you're getting initiated to Reiki. That's so cool. That's so cool. We want to do it, too. And I'm like, okay, cool. So we did kind of like a girl's trip, and we spent a weekend in the woods and <laughs> got initiated into Reiki by this Reiki master in Germany. And, you know, we were friends, so we practiced on each other, and, you know, we made a game out of it. You know, oh, I can see your aura, and we would just – you know, we, would ha we had a lot of fun with it. And like I said, years go by, I kind of lose it, I kind of get back into it, and then I get a very special birthday present, which is initiation to second degree. So I got initiated into the second degree, and that's when I took it serious, meaning I started my business, and I started not only giving friends and family healings, but also strangers and um, whoever felt called to experience Reiki. So starting the business, 
you already had a little bit of experience, you know, with the band, doing managing with them, doing tours. When you were starting the business, was any of that knowledge already there for you or did you have to kind of learn it as you go? I had to learn how to build my own website. I had to learn laws and regulations of the state. I picked up some business tools online. And of course, over the years now, we have social media. So that's the thing that I'm stepping into now, learning now, um, social media marketing and marketing in general. And um, what helped me from my time in the band or in the group was knowing that I can do anything I want to do on my own. And I also had the support from the German government back then because they support uh, young entrepreneurs and people that want to open businesses. They have grants for that. And so I learned at a very young age how to write my business plan, how to estimate uh, income and deal with numbers, bookkeeping, taxes, and yeah, I, I got to say that definitely helped me a lot, not only in confidence, but also knowing how, how to do things the right way and the legal way and, you know. So you build this Reiki business and you're operating it in West Hollywood mm-hmm. and it's pretty successful. At what point do you realize there's something behind this. This is actually helping people. Testimonials and people being relieved of their pain or their issues. And I've seen incredible miracles happen. I've done Reiki on people that don't believe in Reiki and that don't believe that you got to understand Reiki goes against a lot of religions and it's not looked it's yeah it's a hard thing for some religions which is why I was apprehended in the beginning because I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness so for us meditation yoga tarot all that is like devil worship (laughs) you know what I mean so I got to work on my own mother, who was like, mm-mm. I got to work on my best friend, who was like, mm-mm. And the results were incredible. And that just showed me that this is my purpose. And my need that I've always had to help people is innate and past life. You know, I've been a healer many, many times. And... I think that's that's the best reward is just hearing people say, thank you, you helped me. That's what I'm here for. Do you find it difficult being in two industries that are different? I know we talked about acting being the approach that you took was very spiritual in a sense with connecting the chakras and and like that. But Hollywood is such a dark place. Mm. And it's funny that it's so dark, and yet so many people find their spirituality there. Because it's so dark. Because it's so dark. Because they because need when you see the dark, there's there are two things that happen. You turn to the light, or you relish in the dark. 
there's no other, what else are you going to do? Someone's holding a gun to your face. You start questioning life. When you start, and this is in my case, when you start having spiritual experiences with the dark side, you either turn away from it or you dive fully in. And that's what I did. I dived in because I turned away from it for so long. I had multiple experience with experiences with, <clears throat> pardon me, different entities and things that I couldn't understand because my religion at that time gave that happening a name and made it bad and made me afraid of it instead of being open to it. And I think, yes, Hollywood is a horrible place, but it's also a beautiful place because the amount of beauty that's there and the amount of enlightenment and connection is also it reflected on the other side, on the dark side, on the crime, on the horrific things that are happening, the people that are disappearing and so on. We don't have to get into that, but it's yin and yang. duality it's just the way it works it's law how did you really be able to protect yourself in that environment because being sensitive to energies and i, I want to talk a little bit about the um some of the dark entities that you faced before but being so sensitive in an area like that to where you are susceptible to a lot of dark stuff how did you stay protected I got to, okay, so I, I have to kind of um, elaborate on this a little bit because I wasn't protected. I thought I was protected, and I was kind of shielding myself with my masculine side, with my masculine energy, the B-girl, you know, the street performer, you know, the girl from the Bronx, you know, the... I carried aggression on my sleeve because... I felt like it protected me. But on one specific instance, I could have died because of it. And that specific instance made me gear up with protection. What happened was I was attacked on Hollywood Boulevard and beaten unconscious in front of you know, my job that I had back then. And it happened, you know, in the middle of the night. No one was supposed to be at my job, but they were there and they saw me laying on the floor. So they came running out. One of the guys was a box trainer and he was training professional boxers, Jose. God bless him. He's the coolest man in the world. And if you're out there, I don't know where you are, Jose Molino, you're the man. But the next day, he was like, let me train you. And I was like, okay, cool. Because it was exciting for me to learn boxing. But the most exciting thing about that was it gave me confidence to be able to walk through Hollywood and know that all that shit is happening, but that I'm smarter than that and that I can see things happening before they happen. And I was able to use my intuition and combine that with, with this martial art, or not martial art, but with this fighting technique. And 
that was kind of the start of my protection and knowing that I had to be protected, really understanding that I had to be protected, not only physically, but also spiritually. It took years for me to understand that I'm an empath. I didn't know that. I knew that I was always sensitive, but I thought I was just being sensitive, you know, and people would jokingly say, oh, you're, you must be psychic and blah, blah, blah. But I was kind of always like steering away from it and I didn't really know what it was that I had. And then once I understood that I'm an empath, everything just made click and I got all the books I needed to get and, you know, did all the research I needed to do. And now I do things like the Tower of Light to protect my energy. I do grounding work. Crystals are huge for me. Um, I usually always carry like a black tourmaline or... Um, Labradorite, uh, things of that nature. Sorry. <laughs> I'd be burping up in it's here. All right. It's all right. We know you're human. Yeah. <laughs> so those are all some awesome tools that you just mentioned right there. And a lot of them are good for protection. What type of uh, Reiki tools, let's say for the average person who is not initiated in Reiki, could they potentially start to use today that may help areas of their life everybody can do the tower of light you don't need to be special <laughs> for that there Tell are us. many uh there's there's a lot of literature on empath and 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 protection for empaths there's a book called psychic protection and well-being that's really really awesome it has plenty of uh rituals protection rituals and also even let's say Let's say you're religious, right? Let's say you're Catholic or Jewish or Muslim and you don't really believe in this kind of stuff. That's totally cool because your protection is just boundary. Set up your boundary and also be aware. Have eyes in the back of your head and around you and pray. Prayer is incredible because it connects you to light, to your God or to the universe or whatever you want to call it and a prayer is is the most powerful thing and i don't mean by prayer like hey god um i want some money i need this i need that but just connecting to the presence whatever you call that presence and allowing that presence to fill you and to be with you throughout the entire day and knowing that that presence is always a presence and never an absence and it's it's always there with you that is a great protector you know if you're Christian, you know, your guardian angels. Guardian angels are so powerful. I have plenty of guardian angels that are with me. You can ask the archangels for protection, Archangel Michael. Uh, so yes, there's there are plenty of tools, and I'm sure, you know, Muslims have uh, the... the uh, I'm going to fuck this up right now. The eye of the... Uh, and just don't say it. <laughs> Okay, I won't say it then. Don't say it. But every religion, every belief has a form of protection. Even Satanists, they're going to fucking pray to Satan and say, hey, Satan, protect me from God or whatever. You know what I mean? So, What about books? Because you mentioned some books. Have there been some books that you've come across that have been like huge in your transformation? Mm, the power of now. All of Eckhart Tolle, obviously. He's brilliant. Michael Bernard Beckwith, his books, Kabbalah. 
Kabbalah is, uh, the knowledge is incredible. It blew my mind. When I first learned about Kabbalah, I was kind of on the fence because, you know, you hear cult and Hollywood and Madonna and you don't really look into it and you see the red band and it's kind of like, oh, it's a fashion thing or whatever. But, yes, Kabbalah, definitely any of the Kabbalah books. Yeah. Those are all some really good ones to start out There's with. There's plenty I mean, of just, more, yeah, but just, yeah. Just, just, I mean, just some of the ones that you mentioned alone, I know. That Excuse me, people. your life is waiting for like super beginners that are like, oh, I'm just like, oh, now I'm understanding I'm a spiritual being. I'm slowly getting to, you know, understand life a little bit. Yeah, the Excuse Me, Your Life is Waiting is a huge one. I read that one when I was still living in New York. Uh, and The Power of Now are are really good, good, good reads. Crystals, chanting, meditation. We know the power of these tools. And we've used them ourselves to aid us in different areas of our lives. What roadblocks have you faced when trying to introduce these tools Mm. to family members or friends that you know will benefit from them highly, but the resistance is just Mm. there? I'm... I don't even, uh, I don't even know how I'm going to make my dad understand. This episode of Help. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just do your own thing. Well, I'm saying, what roadblocks have you faced? What roadblocks have I faced? Not, I don't want to say blocks because when when it comes to me becoming a better person, no one's going to block me. And especially not in my family, they're not going to try to block me because they love me and I love them. So there's no roadblocks when it comes to that. Uh, I want to say my dad, because my dad is, is, he's kind of a Jehovah's Witness. He's not baptized, but that's his like belief. And when I told him about yoga, he's like, you know, I used to do yoga too, but you know, he kind of like, wanted to tell me that it was like bad and praying to the sun and you know but that's the only thing he's no one's gonna block me but if someone my advice to someone if someone would be facing something like that is just to ignore it and do your own thing you really only can do that um the one thing that I want for my family is to evolve, which they are doing in their own time. But I want to say that me doing this has made them more open. My sister is now a yoga teacher. My mom is open to receiving Reiki. Not too long ago, my mom was like, I think we're witches, <laughs> which is really odd to hear come out of my mom's mouth. But I feel like everyone's evolving and I'm really proud of everyone and it took me a long time and I'm not, I'm not there. I got a, I got a whole, whole life of things to learn and there is no arriving. It's, it's a journey and everyone is on their own time. And so you just got to do you. It's so hard because so many people are religious Mm -hmm. and it's like most of my family is religious Mm -hmm. and 
I think that religion does good things as far as getting people to look outside themselves and to know that there could be something bigger than them. I think that's a great stepping stone. I feel like religion is kind of like the gateway drug to knowing who you really are. (laughs) The one problem that I do face is the resistance that comes along. So the one advice that I would give to all of my religious listeners is to just be open. Mm -hmm. Do not allow the dogma that you've been given to stop you from learning some awesome tools that could help you grow into the person that you're trying to be. Mm -hmm. And if you really start to do the research that you, you'll see a lot of the books, they don't even, they don't even say the rules that your pastors and the people that you're looking at are giving you. Mm So to really, really focus on that stuff and just be open-minded. So when someone comes around, like, hey, these crystals may work, don't write it off as devil worship. Yeah, please don't. Yeah. I mean, we can scientifically explain how crystals work and how it has nothing to do with anything other than science. <laughs> but, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so let's just, for all the religious people right now, the only thing I want you to take, especially my Christians out there, is that if it's not something you don't understand, it's not the devil. Mm-hmm. And we love you all still. And we love you all. And I have another question for you, and I kind of want to <laughs> maybe end it towards this. What do you think the world looks like in the future? <laughs> I don't know. I know that it's changing rapidly. I know there's a huge awakening happening. But one thing that I know is that there's always going to be dark. So that's what we know. There's always going to be dark in the future. Okay, so what is an ideal future? You're, paint, you're painting the picture. It's up to you. What does the future look like? The future of the world. Acceptance. Healing. Especially healing and taking responsibility for human life. Becoming a parent, you can't just become a parent. Bringing a life into this earth is the most sacred thing you can do. And carrying life and caring for life is the most sacred thing we can do. And the biggest responsibility we have I think that's awesome. Acceptance. I think that that's a very simple word, but it's so deep. Because if people were to accept acceptance, the world would be a different place and a better place. Alexis, we're out of time. What? This has been real. So awesome talking to you. I hope that the fans get to see another side of you that I get to see because, you know, there's not a lot of platforms where we get to talk freely about what we really believe without being judged. And you have some awesome information out there on the web for people. I do. Where can they find it? 
zenhousereiki.com and on Instagram, zenhousereiki. Mm-hmm. Make sure you guys go follow her and make sure that you send her questions if you have them, especially about Reiki. She is extremely knowledgeable on the topic. And thank you so much for coming. This was awesome. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week's episode, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to check out all the links, subscribe to all the outlets, and leave comments letting me know what you think. Once again, this episode is ad-free thanks to all of you who have supported my company, Raw Yogi. I cannot thank you enough. If you are looking for an awesome new vegan line, then make sure you go to rawyogibrand.com. If you're a listener of this podcast, then you will get a great discount on your first order. Isn't that nice? Promo code, like always, will be in the notes. Again, thank you so much, and I will see you next week.